Hi, this is Russ Berquist from the Rust Berquist Project. You are listening to Brutally Delicious with Chris and Bruce. I sent you uh, the guy from Tuesday, which I think will be pretty cool. He's a PhD. Did his thing in, um, did his dissertation on those battle vests, those vests that everybody wears with the patches on them. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think that'll be pretty cool. We had good luck with uh, Viren, so maybe that's a an avenue we can explore. Yeah, man, absolutely. And then I just sent you a a comment we got from somebody who says they love our show and listening to us at work. So at least we know we got like three people listening, which hey, is man. good. Hey, three people <laughs> is better than no people. Right. So I think we we kind of talked about this real quick, but before we get Russ on, uh, we we had a cancel last week, but we got Dale out there who corrected us and said that. Um, we were wrong about Guns N' Roses putting the only two albums out together because I guess Demon Hunter did this year. So thanks, Dale, for fact-checking us. Thanks, Dale, appreciate for listening. That. We really appreciate yeah, you listening. Right. You must be one you're, of three. You're one of the three, and you're fact-checking us, so we like that a lot. <laughs> and also I got a message from somebody saying, from Randy, saying our language is too, uh, too vulgar, but since we're on the Internet, you don't have to listen to it. We can also say, fuck you, Randy. What the fuck is with Randy? Why is he so fucking worried about my goddamn language? (laughs) I don't know. You can always change the station or, you know, do something else. Have I said something wrong? I'm not sure. But so those are the, uh, those are, that's the feedback we've got. Somebody's listening to us at work. Thank you, Christina. Thank you. Dale's fact checking us. Dale's fact checking us. And uh, Randy thinks we're vulgar. So, well, I am vulgar. I get that comment a lot. Hey, Russ. Welcome to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. <laughs> That's brutally awesome. It is brutally awesome. You're right. Tell us, how excited are you to be on this hugely famous, popular podcast? We have three listeners that we know of. Yeah, we know we at least have three. Well, I'm so excited. I'm I'm covered in myself. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Right on. So, I don't know how nice it is. <laughs> <laughs> We don't have the video on, so it's it's fine. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can take your dick out of your hands now. I'm a, I'm actually still scarred from seeing you get out of the shower the other day. Uh, well, I already. It's okay. I already have my way with myself this morning, so I'm good. <laughs> and by the way, we're not pulling the host jerk offs today. No, we're not. <laughs> no, no, or no. I'm not. <laughs> so I don't know if you saw me the other day, Russ. Um, but I was chilling beers in ice, and I was like yeah. cooling them off in the ice. Yes. How did you feel about that technique? It's a great technique. I learned it many years ago. Yeah. And for those listening, you take a beer, put it on its side, and lay it in ice cubes. Then gently spin the beer in the ice cubes for approximately two to three minutes. And then open that motherfucker and drink it because it is cold now. <laughs> oh yeah, it is the best technique, man. Oh, yeah, it, it's a great one. But it doesn't it doesn't spew all over you. No, no. Like wow. I said, gently, gently. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I really use your hand that. doesn't fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I use that technique in in uh, Jamaica. I was there two weeks ago. And they were bringing me, I was paying this guy to fill my fridge with 24 red stripes a day. (laughs) Only 24. I don't think I should advertise that. Oh, no. (laughs) But anyways, (laughs) 
I, I, okay, had, I understand. He gave me he gave me uh, ice buckets, and I would fill them up with ice, and I would just gently roll them on the patio. And people would be walking by, and it looks like I'm massaging something in the bucket, you know. <laughs> My hands. What are you doing? I'm keeping it small. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Anyways, I had cold beers by the pool. Anyways, enough about beer and cold beer. Oh, what, what do you mean enough? Well, I mean, you know, as soon as this podcast is over, you know what Chris will be doing. But anyways. Oh, okay. <laughs> actually, Spinning beers. Yeah, yeah. I'll actually probably be working on my lawn. But anyways, uh, tell us what you've been up to. Myself. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, I've been uh, pretty busy, actually. I've had a lot of stuff going on. Um, I'm in two bands up here in Vancouver, Canada. One called The Thick of It, and the other one called Touch the Sun. Great bands. I'm much, bus- much busier with Touch the Sun. Uh, uh, we just did a gig last week. We opened for Flotsam and Jetsam here in Vancouver. Um, That's a nice gig. We're going to lay off the gigging for a little while. We uh, released an album last year, and we've kind of gone through the whole cycle of that. And uh, now we're just concentrating on writing songs. So tonight I'll actually be in um, our drummer Rob Wade's home studio laying down some bass on a new tune. Nice. Uh, So that that keeps me busy. I spent a couple days a week with those guys. And then uh, I've also been uh, uh, pushing and trying to market my own album called The Russ Berquist Project. Oh, cool. Project, not project. Canadian. Oh, that's a whole yeah. Canadian thing. <laughs> I love it. That's right. I love yeah, it. It's a rock and roll project, eh? <laughs> this is the first time on the ship. Yeah. It's the first time on the show that I'm outnumbered by Canadians. Now I've got the accent. Yeah. yeah. But I don't hear one. I don't hear an accent with you, Bruce. No. No, not at all. It's not well, like if you're from North Carolina or something. You know. I, no, I think- originally from New York, but. I think it's because you had the right. New York accent when you were younger, and then you moved to Virginia, and you kind of yeah. have that mixture, and you know maybe that takes the accent away. From my experience, that, that makes it like anywhere you go, there's going to be all across the United States, all across Canada. There's different different accents and dialects and everything like that. So, oh my God, yeah. When I went to um, one time, I flew out to Halifax. I could not understand a single freaking word those people were saying. They were nice, but I had really? no idea what they were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> it's so thick. Well, that's a mix. You know what they were it's talking about? It's like a mix of Scottish and Irish or something like that. Yeah, it's it, it was crazy. I was like, holy, <laughs> can you slow down for me? It's like, bee, 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 bee. <laughs> anyways, if you're in Halifax, I love you. So, right. So the if you're Rus- one of the three listeners in Halifax. Yeah. So the Russ Ber- Berkowitz Project. Um, how many songs are on the record? Nine. Nine songs. Um, nine songs. Two instrumentals and seven with vocals. And who is the, who is the vocalist on the record? Uh, a fella from British Columbia up here uh, named Mark Petrie. I've known Mark for many years. Uh, he was a vocalist in a band that I had years ago called Freaks by Nature. Oh, I love that uh, CD. We did. We've done a few other things over the years, but uh, he, he's the vocalist on this project. Oh, project, cool. project, 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 whatever. 
So from uh, um, I know this project. Right. So you've yeah. got quite a few uh, guest musicians on this record as well, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Can you, can you tell us a few of them? Um, I could tell you all of them, actually, if you want. That would be great. Uh, tell us about have... them. Uh, Scott Webb, <laughs> guitarist, uh, uh, guitarist named Scott Webb, uh, drummer named Ryan Van Puderoyen, keyboard players uh, Vivian Lalu, Dave Young, uh, guitarist uh, Jupe Walters, guitarist Jeff Loomis, drummer Ray Hartman, guitarist Brian Polson, Alex Roke, and uh, vocalist Mark Petrie. Nice. How did you end up getting Ryan and Ray to play the drums on this record? I mean, both of those guys are serious drummers. Yeah, so it goes back a long ways, uh, this project. Uh, goes back quite a ways. And Ryan, at the, when I started doing this, Ryan was starting a project of his called Terror Syndrome. And the, well, I didn't even know if he had the name for it at that time. But uh, as it turned out, it was like, well, if you play on some of my songs, I'll play on some of your songs. So it never worked out that I played on any of Ryan's stuff, which is awesome because <laughs> I got it basically for free. It's <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, well, he did a great job for me too. And then Ray, well, Ray and I played together in Annihilator for a couple, two or three years. And uh, we've re we've remained friends since. And uh, and I had him come on board and play four of the songs on this album. Nice. I've, re I've actually had the pleasure of recording Ray uh, a few times, and I'm mm -hmm. not sure I've ever met a drummer that can hammer the drums as hard and consistent as that guy. Like, there's, a, there's another drummer I played with in an island named Randy Black, and uh, oh god, <laughs> he, he's like that too. Like, those guys both hit really, really hard, but really consistently. Both great drummers to play with, unbelievable, and totally different, both totally different from each other, too. Yeah, and as a bass player, it must be kind of a a unique situation especially when it's your own record that you're you're blending your playing and your songs with their beats because there's such an uh, a huge relationship between a drummer and a bass player oh absolutely absolutely um you know uh basically when it came down to the drum parts i pretty much have everything lined up the way i wanted it so i kind of told the guys what to do but at the same time, they put their own personality into it a little bit, and uh, and that's what you want. Um, and uh, so there's a little bit of a, a different push and pull between the two styles of the drummers, but they both seem to work very well for my project. Project, project, project. Now, how thank did, you, thank you for the question. Yes. How did you end up working. getting Jeff Loomis to play a solo? What's what song did he play a solo on? Just so everyone knows. Well, first off, I just asked him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> I've known Jeff for a long time, and uh, I said, "Hey, would you would you want to do this?" And he said, "Yeah." And in less than a day, I had a solo back in my hand. So um, there's a, a instrumental on this this little CD of mine. I titled it "Shreddies," um, and it's an ode to the lead guitarist. Basically, um, I've always been fascinated what they can do. Like. Uh, as a bass player, I'm lumbering away on those big strings, and then you hear some little athletic guitar player coming, you know, with the note density and just shredding away. So that's the name Shreddies came about for the song, and, and I lined up four different guitarists to basically just 
solo and uh nice arranged the song in a way so it didn't get boring uh, at least i don't think it's boring i think it flows pretty good and uh and four different completely styles of guitar player um I had uh, a local fella here that I uh, mentioned the band Freaks by Nature a little while ago. The guitarist in that band was named Scott Webb. And so he did some uh, slide and some lead guitar work on this song. Also, in another local guy named Brian Paulson, um, a fantastic player. Um, a gentleman from the Netherlands named Jupe Walters. Um, he's got a real exotic style. Uh, you can hear it in his playing on this one. And then Jeff Loomis... Uh, tied it all up at the end of the song oh when i listen to that track right. i'm just drooling with love of shredding guitar players so i i think the the title is aptly named yeah i like the way it turned out um i also had a keyboard player play on this song as well um a gentleman named vivian lalu he's from france uh he's put out a number of his own albums uh i played on one of them um with ryan van puderine and jupe walters was on that album as well so there's a relationship there cool um uh, vivian's fantastic musician and uh he really put some nice color in the uh, breakdown section of this song yeah so it kind of seems like the relationships you forged by touring the world or europe ha have really stayed with you all this time so i guess people really like you well <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's because I say project and project. Ah, that's correct. <laughs> well, uh, I've been fortunate, you know. I've I've met a lot of really nice people, and um, you know, I never stayed on the road with bands. Um, I I didn't get out there. I didn't stay on the road like I, I maybe I should have, but at the same time, life on the road's tough, you know. So uh, yeah, um, it's a it's a difficult. I respect the guys that are out there playing and touring and doing shows for a living i respect those guys and i look up to them but at the same time it's a difficult living you know it's uh you're constantly traveling it's tiring um you know and uh, a lot of times you have to be out there consistently and all the time to make a living at it so it's a difficult it's a difficult thing and i respect all those guys for that but yeah um meeting and playing with all these players and, and over the years i've had some other opportunities that came along from people i've met and uh, uh i really cherish that that's amazing now you also talked about your band touch the sun and you say mm -hmm. you say you're working with rob in his basement now i've heard some of the stuff rob does in his basement and that guy is seriously on it uh the last time i spoke with rob he was just like i don't know what i'm doing and then he sends me this track that he did, and I'm just like, what the fuck? This sounds amazing. <laughs> it's, so no, it's funny because uh, he, he says it, and he says it like that. I don't know what I'm doing, you know. But, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he's got a very uh, creative mind, that guy. And, like, even some of the demo stuff, like, it's not just that he's a good drummer and he's, he's turning into a, a pretty good engineer and producer kind of guy, like, when it comes to crafting songs with us. But he kind of leads the charge with most of it. Um, in terms of, like, Alex will bring in some cool ideas or I'll have a cool idea or whatever, and I'll just start building around it. And he has a real good ability to do that. But the guy can... He's good at the keyboard, too. And oh, really? He can, oh, yeah. Like, all the keyboard stuff you hear on any of that stuff, that's all him. Oh, wow. Hmm. I didn't know he played keys. 
Yeah, no, he's actually he's got he's got some education on that, and uh, he took some training, so he's using that. But then at the same time, there's some stuff that he's picked up, like he can write a guitar solo. What? He can play a bass. Wow. Yeah, he can play a bass line. You know, like he, he'll, I'm going. Well, what is that? You play that on keyboards? No, I use that bass guitar over there, and it's like holy crap, sounds good, man. You know, so wow. he has, he's got, he's pretty well versed in music and I have a lot of respect for the guy for that, you know, and, uh, and the nice thing is we go in and with that attitude, I don't know what I'm doing. And, and, and uh, all three of us throw things at the wall and see what sticks when it comes to the songs. And then we'll revisit it after we jam it for a while and realize that, oh, when we jam it, we play it a lot different than when we wrote it. Yeah. And, uh, and then we do it again. And then sometimes we'll re-record it again, you know. So tonight I'm going in to record a bass line that I recorded twice before. Nice. But it's just to get, it's just to get a better sound for the demo. A little bit, few ideas, a little different. I'm using a little bit different processor right now for demoing of a piece of gear. Processor. From, yeah, from Dark Glass. Processor or processor? Oh, the you're using a Dark Glass. Are you class. getting back at me? Are you getting back at me for the jerk off comment or what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is that that's okay? Is that a dark glass like <laughs> overdrive pedal or what is it? Uh, the one I picked up is dark glass alpha omega pedal. It's a distortion pedal, but it can be used as a DI as well. Oh wow! Sounds fantastic. It sounds really fantastic. Like for for demoing, I wouldn't use it. You know, uh, I would use it, but I would have to use it alongside some something else to get a, a really solid bass tone. But for doing the demos, it works works quite well. Nice, nice. Are you are you going direct or a mix of both? Uh, no, we're just basically going through the processor. Okay. Notice how I said that? Yeah, um, that was very nice. Thank you. You're just uh, going direct bass, right? Straight into the straight into yeah. DAW. Yeah, yeah. Just one. Cha- well, it's just one channel. So, like you know, you know how it is, Chris. Like uh, a lot of times, if you're recording bass, you'll use two to four channels or yeah, through different things, then I blend them together. But we're just get a decent sound with this and work with it. Yeah, it's good for the demo. It's good for demoing. Yeah, I mean, some bass tones can work really, really well. Just some of the best bass sounds I've ever heard have just been a DI. So, you know, it. I think it depends on the gear and the engineer and the player and and what the tone you're going for. I guess really. I mean, maybe I'm going down a geek hole right now. I don't know, but. <laughs> Well, you know, I've worked with different engineers over the years, and some we've just used, like, uh, amping, uh, just putting a mic in front of a, a cabinet. Yeah. And then there's other times where a guy used five different channels and blended them all together, you know? so That's cool. Hmm. Yeah, and they all come with different results. I mean, so, and I can't say any one is better than the other. It depends, I guess, on the, on the engineer and what he wants to do and what kind of control he wants over the overall frequencies of the instrument. Yeah. Um, these days, uh, you don't hear these days. It's, um, I don't know. I find it a little different than 20 years ago or even farther back where, um, you don't, you didn't have as much control over it, but you didn't have as much to work with. So it was a little easier to get nice separation and, uh, different things like that in a mix with the way the things were recorded. Now you can, your bandwidth is just your frequency range is just so much more. Yeah, absolutely. Like before, if you had two guitar players in the band, you had two guitar tracks, and 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 you had 
a vocal track with some BGs and a bass track and the drums. There's a lot of space for everything to fit in there. And yeah. no- nowadays, people are layering things so much um, that, like you say, everything gets so much more. Uh, it becomes it becomes that wall of sound. Yeah. And a lot of people go for that, which is great. Uh, but it has its place. It doesn't have all the places. And uh, I, I miss listening to albums where you can hear every note the bass player plays and the way his fingers hit the strings and the way the guitar player mm-hmm. plays something. You can hear everything, and it's just not like that anymore. No, right. no. The bass, the bass these days is shelved so low, especially in metal, that it's, it's really difficult to make out a lot of what they're doing. You if know. you listen to an old Aerosmith record from the 70s, just use them as an example. Yeah. When you listen to those songs, what you hear the most is Tom Hamilton's bass. Oh, absolutely. Same with Old Maiden. Well, Maiden, Rush, uh, um, Boston, all these bands back in the 70s, the way they used to record and mix things back then. It was just incredible, the separation and, and the sounds and just the way it all fit together. But, you know, the bass carried, like with that, as I mentioned Tom Hamilton, um, his bass really carried a lot of what was going on in those Aerosmith songs, you know. And then as the years went by with the stuff they did in the late 90s and whatever, it sounded a little different, you know. It was still pretty good. Bruce Fairbairn was producing those records, and he did an awesome job. Yeah. Um, but it just uh, not quite the same, you know. I mean, everything evolves and changes. If they had all this gear in the late 60s, they would have been doing the same thing that everybody's doing right now. Oh, I everyone's right. like, records lack what the Beatles had and i was like the beatles were inventing tricks to get stuff more like more to have to get it more perfect you know if, if the beatles had auto-tune right now you better believe they would have been using auto-tune in some way or oh, fashion yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. but uh, you know they say limitation is the mother of all invention sometimes and right now when you're recording there's there's almost no limits so yeah you can if you want to put 100 tracks on a song no problem I've received tracks like that to mix many times. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got this one track. It was a it was a it was a hip hop track. It had uh, two tracks or one stereo track for the beat, one stereo track for the for the keys, and 128 vocal tracks. Wow! I was oh, just yeah, like, yeah. "What the fuck is this? <laughs> Where do Holy I even crap. start?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's Ross, like, oh, yeah. Sorry, sure. no, go ahead. Carry on. Yeah, go ahead. You've got the three projects going, and I know you said you don't like being out on the road much. Is there any plan to take any of these out, even on short runs? Um, well, I just want to clarify one thing. If I could go back on the road for a little while again, I would do it. I would do it because I miss it. Um, uh, whether I'd want to do it for the rest of my life, you know, I don't know, but right. Uh, we, there is, if something came up and we were able to go out and make it work financially, we, I think we would do it. I don't think it would be with uh, the thick of it, but with Touch the Sun, we've all discussed it and if something came along and we got some offers to do some shows or there was an opportunity for us, then we would seriously look at it and more than likely do something with it. Um, that band is already, you know, we're just a three piece, um, but we've got it down like how we go about uh, representing the music 
as a three piece and we could go out and we could play shows right now um, well I, i've seen you guys and you guys are just unbelievable live unbelievable. well thanks yeah um and then my own project i'm not sure about that i mean i'd have to put a band together which means i'd have to find uh finances to pay for putting a band together right and, and Probably wouldn't do any shows here if we went over to Europe or something like that. Well, then you're looking at ten to fifteen thousand dollars in air, air, airplane tickets. You know, and how do you make that all work? Uh, right. So, I mean, but again, at the same time, if the opportunities are there and it looks like it's something that can work, I'll entertain it. That's awesome. Okay, I, would, cool. I would love to see you playing in Europe, just on one of those freaking massive stages. Because before I knew of Russell Berquist, you were playing on those <laughs> stages. <laughs> you know. And yeah, oh yeah. 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 Like before I even met you, you were I well, I mean, when I met you, I didn't even know you played bass. <laughs> nice. Yeah, cuz I was the Oh, that was that drunk guy. Yeah, yeah, we were just over at Ken's place <laughs> getting Wait, wasted. He, he played he plays bass. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I had some some good years back uh late 90s, early 2000s with the bands that I played in. And most of the stuff I did was with um with Annihilator. Yeah. Right. Um, but I did play overseas with Dusk Machine. I did play on the 70,000 Tons of Metal Cruise with Dusk Machine, which I've yeah, also... Yeah, that's where I met you on that one. That's where we met, yeah, Bruce. Um, that's uh, going to be 10 years ago this year, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, crazy. Touch the Sun, yeah. too, played on 70,000 Tons of Metal, didn't they? Yeah, we did uh, a couple years back. Yeah, yeah. So you're... Yeah, in the, you're in I was there for that one as well. You're in a very small group of people that have played multiple cruises in different bands. I wonder if there's a if there's a stat for that somewhere. There's got to be. I don't know. I did I did a clinic on that uh, that cruise once too, base clinic. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, most of that that touring and those experiences, like I went to Japan a couple times too, and uh, that was all done with an eye later. Um, so bulk of it was right there. I mean, I did play uh, with Dusk Machine in Germany. Um, I played with uh, another Canadian band, an old Canadian band that uh, uh, put a record out a number of years back. And we went and we did a festival over in Germany in uh, Ludwigsburg. And that band was called White Wolf. It was kind of a power metal cool. band. Huh. They, yeah, it was. the music was good. I... I you know, that was all right. It was kind of a cool experience. I had some friends uh, that were in the band too, so that was fun for us to go do. Absolutely. And uh, and I lived in the Netherlands for a while, and uh, I put together a a blues band with a couple of guys from this little town that I lived in, and uh, I actually fronted the band. Um, we called it the Sasquatch Blues Band. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> nice. We did all these these funny songs and uh, a bunch of uh, bluesy type of stuff and. That was a fun experience, actually, playing in these little wee towns and little pubs where 20, 30 people would show up. And But the thing that was really cool about it is that I played all these kind of little venues in Canada, too, over the years. And everybody comes in, they buy their beer, and they sit in their chair. And you go to these little places in, in these European countries, there's no chairs. They all stand there in front of the stage and drink their beer there and watch the band. <laughs> That's and so, awesome. And I really enjoyed that because it was just down to earth uh, uh, music and uh, music lovers, and uh, just the way it, the way the people uh, 
the way they uh, embraced live music was uh, something that you don't really see here the same. Even though yeah. live music is really appreciated, it's just a different culture of music lover that I find uh, in Europe. Cool. So, yeah. do you do you still stay in, do you still stay in touch with the guys from Annihilator, like Jeff or Dave or anyone? Um, well, Dave and uh, I, I run into Dave every now and then. Dave Patton, that is. Yeah. Um, I haven't talked to him in a while. Uh, I stay in touch a bit with Curran Murphy. Yeah. Um, my, uh, Randy Black. Um, I stay in touch with him and Ray Hartman, and uh, I, I'm in touch with Jeff on a regular basis. We throw a few comments back and forth at each other and i got along good with jeff I, I i kind of admire how he's been able to uh on his own basically because annihilator is a band but it's more jeff's project than anything yeah and uh, how he's managed to put out 15 or 16 albums over the course of over 20 years going on 30 years and uh has always put out an album every album he puts out there's something on there and you go holy crap is that ever good you know even if you don't like the whole record, there's always something right. on there that is pretty cool. And sometimes there's a lot of pretty cool on his records and they, they usually sound pretty good too. So, you know, he survived, survived really well. Well, now he's mixing, he's recording, mixing and mastering his own stuff now, isn't he? Yeah, but he's been doing that. He's been doing that for years. I had no idea. And he's also, yeah. Um, I remember when I joined the band, uh, he was basically uh well he was going through uh, he had some personal things going on i guess i won't get into it but nope. he actually had a, a two-bedroom condo that he and, and his kid were living in and uh he set up a little recording studio in his bedroom and the vocal booth was the closet and he had uh, a mixing board and all his gear set up in there and he actually put together most of an album called criteria for a black widow in that bedroom wow, wow. That's recorded amazing. the drums. Hartman recorded the drums at some studio or whatever, but everything else is pretty much done in the bedroom. And and, and that was uh, the late Randy Rampage sang on that album. Oh, wow. And, uh, and uh, Jeff would say, yeah, I just get some vodka and and uh, give Randy some some drinks. And he'd go into the there and he'd just bark out a whole bunch of stuff. And then he'd eventually put it together and made an album. <laughs> out of it. Nice. Randy was Jeff, crazy. Yeah. Jeff is a very good engineer, uh, producer kind of guy. He does a really good job. He, and his performances on his albums are always top rate. Oh, even live. I mean, I've seen, yeah, Anni I've seen Annihilator now about five or six times, I guess. And like, I don't know how that guy runs around the stage like he does at his age and still hits every note like, like it, it's the most important note of his life. Yeah, he's really sharp. He's a super sharp player. Um, like that's the thing about I, when I sat down and played along. I could play, I don't know, maybe over 150 shows with a guy, maybe even more. Yeah. Um, but he was always pretty consistent. Like you know, we there's a few times at the end of a show we'd have to laugh or we'd we'd bug him because he made some pretty bad blithers. But uh, <laughs> we always caught them blithers. But. Um, no, there was always a high standard. Like he set a high standard. Um, I know we'd go on tour with some bands, and they would they would say like, "Yeah, we got together and we rehearsed for two days, and now we're going out." But we rehearsed for two weeks, right? You know, every day for two weeks. Amazing. So, 
But then again, you listen to Annihilator's music and it has to be well rehearsed to be put on a stage. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It has to. It's like it's not like I'll just use a, a, a loose example, Motorhead or something. You know, it's a different type of band, right? Yeah. Well, you're, oh, yeah. You're you're yeah, definitely more of a technical band, you know. You're definitely no sludge of a player yourself. I mean, I've had the privilege of recording you, and you make my life easy. You know, so like, how how many hours a day do you practice, or do you do you still practice at all, or do you just play? Um, I don't necessarily practice. Um, I try to keep my fingers moving. Um, I don't practice as much as I used to. Uh, you know, like um, when I was, for example. Uh, it depends, like the bands I play in now, I can basically, you know, warm up for five minutes and then go and play. And then it's usually, you know, it comes across pretty good. Mm-hmm. Annihilator is a different animal because there was a lot of technical stuff there. And, and even some of these other bands, like there'd be some music on my own album here that I'd have to sit down and really get the, um, the endurance. It's more endurance than anything. Okay. When it comes to playing a lot of this type of music, especially if it's more of aggressive or stuff like that, because you don't want your part fading, you know, right. it's like if you're, if you're, you know, like uh, chasing down a ball or, or playing a sport, you don't want to be, you know, just before you get to the ball, you don't want to slow down. Right. So you got to keep your, you got to keep that stamina up. And that's the biggest part of it. Um, but I'm all, I've got practice techniques and stuff that keep my fingers in pretty good shape. And that's generally what I do. And then I just, you know, mess around with stuff and, and then, but the rest of it's done in the rehearsal room or in the studio. Amazing. There's some Sweet. amazing bass lines on your solo record, man. It's they're crazy. Thanks, Bruce. All right. So, yeah. So if you're, uh, if you're ready, I, I know I sent you some podcasts to listen to Russ and I know you're DC so probably didn't get to him, but we've got a little portion of the show here where I come up with some, uh, I guess off the wall questions. So All right. uh, I've heard you've got a sense of humor. So hopefully these are <laughs> fairly decent. And Chris is not prepared for this. So I don't know if you're watching him or not, but usually he kind of chokes. He just sits and laughs. Yeah, usually I wait for him to get a mouthful of coffee before I hit him with these. But <laughs> well, um, first, first, first thing he does, though, he closes his eyes and then he laughs. <laughs> right. I've never, I've never met Russ before in my life. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. You ready, Russ? I am ready. When a hot dog expands, in which direction does it split and why? <laughs> Look at Chris. Well, this is good. I've always wondered this. This is an amazing question. Um, when it's, well, it splits along its length. Now, sometimes it'll split, it'll um, fatten up at the ends a little bit. Uh, but it'll split along its length. And the reason for that, I believe, is because. Uh, the consistency of the so-called meat inside the wiener, when it heats up, it expands. And it, it expands in a way that it doesn't shoot out the ends. It just splits the side open. That's a beautiful answer. Plus, we got to say wiener on the show, so we're excellent. Seems very scientific. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Can I have your you. splitting wiener? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. See, right. he's, he's got his eyes closed and his head's tilting back. He's That's because you said wiener, and now he's all excited. I'm yeah, going yeah. to respond to all of these like I'm on sweaty <laughs> balls. <laughs> all right, Russ, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or 100 duck-sized horses? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I'm going to fight that big fucking duck. <laughs> I think so. That's, a, that's the way to go. <laughs> All right. And then the last one for you would, would be, how would you sell hot cocoa in Florida? How would I sell hot cocoa in Florida? Um, nude. <laughs> would you have your hair in that towel that we saw last week? Which hair? <laughs> True. Luckily, the luckily the camera was uh, waist up, so we just saw the uh, the turban esque yeah. kind of thing. But you're sure, all go turban esque, turban esque, nude, selling hot cocoa in Florida. You imply he manscapes. <laughs> I didn't imply anything. <laughs> hey, Russ, before we let you go, where can people go check out your music? Uh, they can check my music out um, on iTunes, CD Baby, Spotify. Basically, if you just Google the Russ Berquist Project, there'll be various options come up for you to uh, check it out. Or purchase if you wish. Oh, purchase Sweet. it. Hi, this is Russ Berkowitz from the Russ Berkowitz Project. You are about to listen to a song called Shreddies, featuring some wonderful guitar playing. Enjoy.
Okay, man. Awesome. Hey, take care, man. Appreciate it. Guys. Love you, All brother. Right, Talk to you soon. Bye, right, man. Cheers. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and I'll see you there.